Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. How's everybody doing? Thank you, Lena. I appreciate that. Um, I have a water here. There's actually pure life in here. Yeah. So last time I taught on breaking cycles of discouragement, and I know a lot of you received a lot from that based on what you told me. Um, so I thought I would kind of piggyback off of that. Uh, so when I taught last time, I taught about how discouragement can make your vision blurry. And so today I thought I would talk on vision. All right. Sounds good, doesn't it? So I have a question to start out with. It's probably more rhetorical. Um, but I guess you could answer it if you, if you want. But the question is, what does vision look like? Because if I said, describe that chair, you'd say, well, it's got four legs. It's got a high back. It's kind of wide. But what does vision look like? It's kind of like one of those questions that um, if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one to hear it, does it make a sound? Kind of those type of questions. So what does vision look like? look like. Vision, according to Webster's Dictionary, it is the act or power of seeing. So this is referring to one of your five senses, which is sight. So vision is referring to one of those five sense, uh, senses. I love this definition. The special sense by which the qualities of an object, such as color, luminosity, shape and size, consisting its appearance are perceived through a process in which light rays entering the eye are transformed by the retina into electrical signals that are transmitted to the brain via the optic nerve. Wow. Very descriptive. Very descriptive. Okay, so it's dealing with our natural eyes seeing, right? But then it also... Uh, defines it as something seen in a dream or a trance, a supernatural appearance, the act or power of imagination. So vision's definition is divided into two categories. One is our natural vision. And then the other one is kind of supernatural vision, okay? Um, I was talking with Josh this week, and Josh said he really wanted a deep sermon, so I'm going to talk really low the rest of the service. And so hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's deep, right? Hopefully. We'll see. So what does vision look like? The simple answer is it looks like what I see. Right? But it's not just what I see, but it's how I perceive what I see. So in a spiritual sense, vision 
is generally associated with calling, desire, direction. But I've come to realize that's a very narrow way of looking at vision because it's only dealing with one aspect of vision. Vision encompasses every part of who we are. It's not just a future reality, right? It's not just a future reality. True spiritual vision reveals or perceives my God-given identity. See, when we have godly vision within our lives, we're able to look at ourselves and perceive us correctly. True spiritual vision reveals the condition of my soul. I'm able to rightly discern both good and evil, to perceive and decide with confidence my choices. So vision, like if I, if I would say, Pap, are you hungry? And he said, yeah. And I have an apple, and then I have something really disgusting. By his uh, Sherlock Holmes wisdom, he would say, I want the apple, right? Because he perceives the apple to be good and the other option to be not so pleasing, right? So vision helps us to perceive and decide with confidence my choices. It also helps us see our spiritual authority, but also how to strategize when we see it. It's not just enough to see something, but it's also to have the wisdom and the strategy for it. So vision not only reveals the destination, but it empowers the journey. I feel like a lot of times people just hold vision. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is my calling. This, this is the promised land. But actually, vision is so necessary for every step that you take. So if your vision was only limited to future events, how could you walk in the present? Let's just imagine here. If all you could see was 10 years down the road, you would probably bump into a lot of things now. Right? Because you're only seeing in the future. So I see a lot of times people try to live their life as if they're in the future and not perceiving their moment. I believe that this is a mistake that many of us make. We try to live as if we're in the future, and as a result, we miss our moment. We try to live in the solution without solving the problem. See, a lot of times God's will, God will drop the solution in your heart, but then you got to walk it out. So it takes a journey to arrive at a destination. I mean, think about this. We love to get prophetic word. We, we love when God speaks to us and says, this is what you're going to be doing. And you're amazing. But a lot of times, it takes, a, well, all the time, it takes the journey to get there. Vision was never meant for you to escape reality. It was always meant to empower us for it. See, a lot of times, as believers, we can live in this, this state of always thinking forward so that we can kind of forget what's happening to us now. But vision was never meant for you to escape reality. It was always meant to empower you for it. 
So why did Jesus endure the cross? Anybody know? Scripture says, for the joy set before him. So why did he endure the cross? Because he he had vision for the future. So vision always comes attached with process. You know, when you get an email, how many of you get emails? How many of you have not figured that out yet? Okay, only a few. All right. So we get emails, and sometimes they come with an attachment, right? And if you don't know who's sending it, don't open the attachment. All right, rule 101, all right? (laughs) So when we get a prophetic word, when we get vision, when we get divine illumination, it comes with an attachment, which is the process. But why does he give us that? Because he knows we need it for the journey. I think it would be a good time to quote Bill Johnson right now. (laughs) When we pray, he gives us the answer immediately. But he gives us the oak tree in the form of an acorn. He allows us to steward something in a small form to see if our character will develop equal to the unfolding of the answer. Thank you, Bill. So vision not only reveals our future, but it illuminates our present. I want to kind of shift your thinking that you need vision every moment of the day. For every decision that you make, you need vision. It's not just this pie in the sky or this is what I'm going to be doing. This is what you called me to. See, a lot of times we can get discouraged because you're like, this is what you said, what's happening right now. I'm not sure about what this is. So we need vision to see our present in proper perspective. So vision, I'll say it again, vision not only reveals our future, but it illuminates our presence. We need vision to see our present in proper perspective. So why are we given vision? So that our moment, we can see it correctly. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, say vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So vision in this context is not a five-year plan. It's actually referring to divine inspiration or illumination, revelation, prophetic insight. So where there is no prophetic insight, where there is no illumination, where there's no revelation, the people perish. Now, how many of you know that we're called to live by faith? Right? The just, how many of you are justified? that you're called to live by faith. So to live is an all-inclusive statement. It deals with eating, sleeping, working, resting, playing, planning, every aspect of your life. So how does that look practically? So when I have vision, when I have divine inspiration, when I have divine revelation, I structure or I position my life in a way that matches my revelation and vision. Are you guys following me? Why do, they, why do they perish if they have no vision? Well, we actually know that perish there 
obviously, in the end, it's perish, but it actually means to cast off restraint. So this is really good because when we don't have vision, we remove all boundaries from our life. I've said this before, but the best way to say no to something is to have a bigger yes or to have your yes. See, when you have your yes, a lot of all that other stuff like temptation and stuff like that, it's a no because I have my yes. So to live by faith is all-inclusive. Don't try to separate what is deemed spiritual and what is deemed practical or natural. So we live by faith. It's by faith, but living is every aspect. So we could be handicapping ourselves if we say, well, that's not spiritual enough for me to do. I don't know if God's calling me to that because that's a little too practical. Probably in this church, it might be, that's a little too spiritual, a little too uh, flaky there. (laughs) So let's break down some core elements of vision. So there's a parallel between our natural eyes and our spiritual eyes. One of the aspects or one of the characteristics of our natural eyes is something called perspective. Say perspective. Now this is not perception, Because perception is viewing something based upon history. So if every time I sat down, the chair broke, every time I would see a chair, I would see it through my perception, meaning do not trust that chair. So this is not perception based on history. This is perspective. And I'll tell you what that is. Perspective is the angle or direction distance in which a person looks at an object. So how many of you have probably driven to work the same way for the past 40 years, 20 years, right? And have you ever had to go on a detour and you came out at the same place, but you were looking at it from a different place and you're like, this looks totally weird, right? Because you're seeing it from a different perspective, Nothing's changed. I'm just viewing it from a different place. In an extreme case is if we would look at, um, actually, you can see my house from the top of the mountain. So if you would walk up there, or if I would walk out of my house and be like, my house, I see you. And I would send Pap on a hike, right? And Pap, well, I guess it would have to be me. So I would go up the mountain And I would look and say, there is my house. It's the same house, but it's a different perspective. Let's say I got in a plane and I was flying and say, hey, there's my house. Look totally different, but it's my house. But it's viewed from a different perspective. So your perspective is determined by your positioning. Say, my perspective is determined by my positioning. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You see, one of the benefits of following is that you go where he goes, but when you go where he goes, Renika, what happens? You see what he sees. Why? 
because your perspective is continually changing because you're actually moving somewhere. Does this make sense? So to follow indicates movement. Movement requires change of position, and change of position affects your perception or your perspective. And because you see what he sees, your point of view changes. Are you guys following this? So based on my position, I then evaluate, consider, and form my opinion from what I see. So your, your point of view is effective. And you see, if you haven't figured out already, when you go on a journey with the Lord, your opinions are challenged. <laughs> your thoughts are challenged. Your prejudices are challenged. Your pet peeves are challenged. Your points of view are challenged. See, when you follow Jesus, you're accepting an invitation to see your world differently. Why? Because when you follow, your position actually changes. Meaning you can look at the same situation from a different position and it looks very differently. So if I was facing a giant and it was right in front of me, it would seem pretty intimidating. But if I see it from the mountain or the plain, I don't believe that Jesus desires to force feed us truth. I know when we were teaching Maxwell how to brush his teeth, he would just clench his mouth and we would get the toothbrush in there. You will brush your teeth, even though that they're going to fall out anyways. We're going to brush them. I don't believe Jesus does that. He just says, come with me and then see what I see. So he takes us on a journey which affects our point of view. So perspective is the angle or direction distance in which a person looks at an object, but it's also an accurate rating of what is important and what isn't. It's only a small percentage of your total vision that is clear and in focus. Our clearest vision is where we direct our gaze. So if you just take your finger, some of us have different levels of vision, so point, put it in front of you where it's clear, and everybody look at the tip of your finger. Is that clear? Hopefully, right? But look at all the stuff around it. Is that clear? No. So it's only a small percentage of our vision that is clear and in focus. So when you focus your eyes on something, your brain is making decisions, unconscious ones, because you're not like everything else you're going to be blurry, and then this is going to be in focus. So your brain is making unconscious decisions of what is important. Does this make sense? So the brain is saying, this is important. Now you're making the choice. This is what I'm going to gaze upon. But because that's my choice, my brain is then deciding everything else will be outside the picture or will be blurry. So my attention reveals my perceived value, okay? What has my attention holds my greatest value. Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. So what is it saying? Place your gaze or fix your eyes on Jesus. So what did we just realize? That when we look at something, what we gaze upon is in focus and everything else is out of focus. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it is actually a spiritual act of worship. Because what, what did we just say earlier? My attention reveals my perceived value or what holds my attention holds my greatest value. So our attention reveals honor. Our attention reveals value, which is worship, right? So our spiritual perspective helps us, our spiritual perspective helps us determine what is of value and what is not. Could it be the reason God seems far away in your circumstance is because you don't have your eyes fixed on him? And he is in the blurry part of your vision. Now, we know that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But where is our attention at? If my attention is on my problem or my circumstance, that's where my focus is. And that also tells me something else. It also tells me this is what you perceive to be the most important thing. Wow. Let's just soak that one in a little bit. If I'm focusing on the circumstance and the problem, what am I saying? This is what is most important to me. But if we realize our God is the God of love and he's a good father, that he gives good things to his children, that when we focus on him, he actually deals with all those other things. Same giant, different perspective. 1 Samuel 17, 16. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now, you got to think, I, I believe it was 30 days that Goliath would come out every day and throw insults towards the people of God, right? And what did the Israelites do? They hid in fear and no one would confront. And then this boy... A shepherd boy comes in. Let's look at his attitude. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? So a whole army is captivated. They're fixated on fear. And a shepherd boy is captivated by a big God. When we shift our gaze towards Jesus, our current circumstance can be viewed in proper perspective. Remember, David just didn't talk about it. He actually confronted Goliath. So it wasn't like this, this kid is just like really bold. He actually had to back up what he was saying, right? So right perspectives release perfect strategies. I'm going to say that again. 
Right perspectives release perfect strategies. Remember, he said, what's going to be done? So they bring him in. Here's all the king's armor. And he's like, no, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit me. And he goes out and he pulls some rocks from a string and puts them in a sling. Why did he have that strategy? Because he had right perspective of who his God was. So another parallel between our natural eyes and our spiritual eyes is depth perception. The term depth perception refers to our ability to determine distance between objects and see the world in three dimensions. So the best example that I can give for this, for all you married people out there, you're driving down the road and your spouse, whichever one, we're not going to point any fingers we're, we're not going to say any names to per, protect the innocent, Aaron and Joel. <laughs> Driving down the road. Watch out! So you hit the brake. And you're like, then you look, and then you're like, there's a, yeah, it's 4,000 feet away from me. <laughs> so what is depth perception? Let's go back to this. Actually, I went to the eye doctor, and they said I had perfect depth perception, so I'm not pointing any fingers or anything. But I will say this. I have more accidents than she has. So, all right. So, every, you have the same problem? See, you're not alone. You're not alone. So one of the most powerful and effective ways to perceive depth is to, or to see the world in three dimensions is to have binocular stereo, stereo optic vision. So binocular means involving both eyes at once. Binocular vision means vision where in both eyes aim simultaneously at the same visual target. Both eyes working together simultaneously, equally, and accurately as a coordinated team. So stereoscopic vision, two separate images from two eyes are successfully combined into one image in the brain. So your eyes see a different image. So let's just do this. Find one of those white cans up there and then Close one eye and then put your thumb and cover up one of those cans and then switch your eyes. The can moved. So what does this tell us? Your eyes are, see different angles. So there is a disparity of image on each retina. Our eyes, have a, our, our eyes are at a distance of 6.3 centimeters, which allow them to see images from slightly different angles. This change of angle is a way for your brain to comprehend depth. So binocular cues help us make the picture more three-dimensional. Now there are, I forget what it's called, but you can see depth with one eye. Um, and then there's different visual cues for that. But one of the most effective ways to see depth is actually to see from two different perspectives, okay? Um, All right. 
as believers, or, or to see the world in three dimensions. As believers, we have two eyes or two perspectives that we see and respond from. Our two perspectives are our natural eyes and our spiritual eyes. The problem that I see is in the church is like, we'll say, this is not good. That's too practical or that's too spiritual. And then they throw one out the window and we actually miss spiritual depth. As a result, many believers lack spiritual depth. Either thing becomes either things become too spiritual or too practical. I believe that God is challenging us to have stereoscopic vision and respond from both realities. So where we take two separate images from two separate perspectives and combine them together to make one image. How many of you, like when you look, you're not seeing two separate images, right? If you did, it's called double vision. And we need, we need to pray for you. All right. So your brain is actually doing a lot of the work. So when you're looking, look how far that finger moved just between the perspectives. Your brain is taking those two perspectives and merging them into one image. And as a result, there's depth perception, or you see the world in three dimensions. Having depth perception in this context, spiritual depth perception is what I'm talking about, to be able to navigate and respond effectively to the natural world around us. So cultivating healthy relationships, stewarding our time. You mean stewarding your time can have an effect on what's going on in the spirit? Developing relationships of accountability, honoring your body as a temple, managing your finances excellently and with integrity, on and on and on. All those things that we deem as practical or natural, but then we also, in the spiritual world, we, we maintain constant communication with the Holy Spirit, giving room for spontaneous leadings, Right? We have to be ones that hear the Holy Spirit and he says, say this, do this. And you're like, I don't see that, Lord. I'm not sure what you're saying, right? See, it's a different perspective. To strengthen your spirit, man, praying in tongues, investing time in God's word, uh, worship and praise, having an understanding what it does in the spirit. You know, when we praise, it's not just singing songs. Things are happening in the spirit realm that are shifting and changing. And it can break off soulish depression. It can break off emotional distress by worshiping a spiritual act to something in the natural realm. Like, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but... Still good. Uh, what's that? The choir needs to hear it. Okay. Discernment of places, people, and circumstances. Meaning when we walk into a room, we can sense what is going on in the room. Our natural eyes don't see anything. It's not like there's a fight going on and we're like, well, there's some tension in here. You walk in and everybody has a smile on your face and they're like, something's going on in here. And I'm not just saying that there's, uh, we, it's not that we're just sensing negative things. We can walk in and say, God's here right now. I can feel it. I can see it. I can see it uh, with my spiritual eyes. 
So discerning spiritual warfare. We're told not to be ignorant to his design. So it's silly to be aware of it, but not actually have strategy for it. Right? Okay, don't, don't be unaware of it. Um, but we need to have that, that strategy and that, uh, that wisdom that comes with it. So we could go on and on and on. So I separated these two perspectives so that we could define them independently, but they were never meant to be separated. I guess I've seen this. They were never meant to be two separate images. They were always meant to be combined into one image. So is sowing and reaping a natural activity or a spiritual activity? It's both, right? It's a natural thing that does something spiritually. It's a spiritual thing that does something naturally. They're never supposed to be separated. So when you sow, you impact your natural reality as well as your spiritual realm. When you impart love and grace into someone's life, you impact their natural reality, right? You make their emotions feel well, but you could also be confronting spiritual dynamics that either you realize or you don't realize. So what I'm saying is not to separate them and say, well, this is to this or this is to that. Just realize they're combined. The just shall live, live all inclusive by faith. The Holy Spirit will lead us to do things that are very practical so that a spiritual dimension can be released to us and vice versa. Doing a spiritual act so that a natural thing can be released. You may be one that relies on your natural ability that you have to, uh, that you shut off connecting to the spirit realm, limiting the supernatural, or, or it could be the opposite. You could be so spiritual that Nothing's getting done in this realm. <laughs> Does this make sense? I, I think we're, we're in, in Scripture where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit actually have a practical expression outside. So it's not just, it's not like a love that I just feel in my mind or joy that I feel in mind, they actually have actual expressions in this reality, in this natural reality. Don't just assume when God, or don't just assume when the Holy Spirit calls you to do something deeper, it's in a spiritual matter. I remember a couple years ago where I heard a lot of people saying, God say, get your house in order. Well, that's a very natural thing, isn't it? Get your house in order. But he wanted to release something spiritually to us. So a deeper place could be creating or implementing natural structures so that the spirit has a place to land or a a place to land upon. Do you have the capacity to receive greater blessing? This is one of our um, code of conducts, but... We believe we value building infrastructure. We believe in systems and structures that foster health, growth, and safety. So we believe in actually having wineskin 
for the new wine that God is pouring out. So John 10.10, this verse comes up every time, so when I preach. The thief only comes in order to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So if God designed it, well, if God desired it, then he designed it. So if he desired that your life would be one full of life to overflowing, he actually designed something or a structure to put in place so that that can happen. Since God has desired to give us life to the fullest, then he designed a framework so that we could have access to the life he provides. He designed ways and avenues in which we can experience life to the fullest. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the context is Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that one must be born again, and Nicodemus is like, wait, I'm old. How is this going to happen? I can't get back in the womb and come out again. Right? So on the surface, this truth is referring to salvation, but I believe that there's another layer that can be examined. Flesh in the Greek means the body of a man or a living creature. We know that when man slash life was created, God said it was good. He commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, Humans have the ability to create life after its own kind. God designed a structure to make that possible. I believe that Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that just like there is a structure to create life in the human body, that there is also a structure in the spirit realm that produces life after its own kind, which is through the Holy Spirit. What was Jesus saying? That which is born, there is a structure... That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, there's a structure in place to actually produce life in the spirit realm, and there's a structure in life that produces natural life. Does this make sense? All right. So, so John 3, 6. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. This verse emphasized two truths that there are natural and spiritual structures designed by God that facilitate the flow of life. So how do we experience, what, what is the famous John 10, 10, to experience life to the fullest? So there are actually spiritual structures in place so that you can experience spiritual life to the fullest. And that there are actually natural structures in place so that you can experience natural life to the fullest. Does this make sense? So we navigate and engage with both natural realm as well as the spiritual realm to receive the life that he has promised. So death perception also allows someone to see the world around them in three dimensions. So what are those three dimensions? We know that we were made in God's image, right? And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're a triune being as well. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. So do you see why it's important to have depth perception? 
Because I can see what affects my body. I can see what affects my soul. I can see what affects my spirit. Does this make sense? And so someone could be amazing or have great revelation in one area, but they don't have that total depth because they're only viewing it from one perspective. So when we see through a merged image of what is natural and what is spiritual, then we can effectively respond to our triune being. We experience life in spirit and soul and body because I embrace practical truth as well as spiritual revelation. And as a result, I receive the full depth of life that Christ has provided, life to the fullest, restoration of the whole man, whole man being spirit, soul, and body. So another thing, lastly, what? I know. Hopefully, no, it's going to happen. I have vision for it. I'm landing the plane. All right. So there's the parallels, right? It was perspective. It was depth perception. And there's also a thing called peripheral vision. So peripheral vision is the blurry areas of our vision. Remember when we looked at the tip of our finger? All that blurry stuff around, that's called peripheral vision. Okay? This is part of our vision that is outside our direct gaze. Peripheral vision can detect motion causing us to redirect our gaze. So have you, have you I'll, I'm a parent, that's probably why a lot of these are parental examples. But you're talking with someone and you're focusing on what they're saying. And then out of the corner of your eye, you see something happening. And you're trying to focus on what's happening and pouring out the heart. And sometimes you have to say, hang on one second. And redirect your gaze, right? So this is part of the vision that can, can be something that hinders our focus. The enemy, listen to this, the enemy likes to move around in our peripheral vision. What does he do? Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Don't focus on him. Look at what I'm about to do. What is he trying to get us to do? Look at me. Okay, think about this. What did I just say? That when we direct our gaze, our are, we're making a decision in our brain of what is of most value. Do we want to direct our gaze, our gaze at what the enemy's doing? Because we're extending honor and value to what he's doing. Think about that. So he can just stay in the peripheral view. So I'm not a believer that thinks we should just ignore the devil and pretend like he's not there, but I don't believe that we should, he should be our focus. I believe that there are times that we need to take our God-given authority and confront the works of darkness. This is why we are told to, be not, to not be ignorant of the enemy's tactics. This is why we need to be discerning. Do I engage or do I disregard? Okay. I think some of you are kind of at that place, maybe in a circumstance in your life. Do I engage and confront 
or do I just disregard? Peripheral vision also protects us from danger. So we'll see a motion or a flash out of the corner of our eye that tells us that we must act now. Remember, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. So what does vision look like? Well, it depends on where you're standing and what you're focusing on. The purpose of vision is not just to reveal your calling and destiny, but to empower you for the journey. To have vision for the future, we must look through our present. To have vision for the future, we have to look through our presence. See, a lot of times we have vision for the future and we're like, I'm trying to ignore what's happening right now. But we need to look through our moment to see. A great example of this, and I, I spoke on it before, but let's say you go out and you're at a lake and there's beautiful, beautiful scenery around. And you see someone out in the lake and they're drowning. You're like, I need to do something. This is your moment, right? Some of you are like, I will, I'd call. Not. Okay, you're going to go save them. That's what's happening in this story. Follow me. All right. You're like, I, I would just call. I would ask. No, you're helping. Okay, that's what's happening. All right, imagine with me. So you see someone drowning, and you're like, I'm going to go save them. But as you're running towards the lake, you see the beautiful mountains in the distance. Like, look at it. Look at this. Look what is prepared before me. Look how amazing I am. Look at what he's calling. He's calling me over there. And what happens, we get big vision and we miss our moment because we're not looking through our present into our future. But the flip side is we can have small vision and we see the person. Drowning in the lake. It's like, I need a life jacket on. Okay, let's go. And then you see the life jacket and you're like, what color do I want? Is it blue? <laughs> then you put it on, you're like, wait, this doesn't fit right. Oh, I don't like how it looks on me. Okay. <laughs> and when you have small vision, you miss your moment as well because you're navel gazing. Does this make sense? So all I'm saying is vision is so important for our moment right now. It's what gets us through the moment. So when we have vision, it's so that we can look through our moment into our future, not look at our destiny and say, let's forget what's happening right now. Let's avoid this as much as possible. Let's just get through this. But Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, Lord, you are speaking to us and you're revealing your love towards us. 
And Lord, I just thank you that even as I spoke today, Lord, I pray that there were seeds of revelation planted within everybody's heart. And Lord, I just pray that you were working, you were telling them things that I didn't even say. So that works out too. All right, so Lord, we just open ourselves up to your voice and what you're doing and what you're saying in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we have the, the ministry teams or the healing teams?